Welcome to another episode of Investing Compass. Quick note that the information in this podcast is general in nature, does not take into consideration your personal situation or circumstances. So before we get started today, Shawnee, we should tell people what we were just talking about. So we're talking about Cameo. We're talking about Cameo, which is a service that allows you to pay your favorite celebrities to record a message for you, basically. Right. And you just did this. I did. So you got your mother. For my mother. But this is before her birthday. Not that she listens to the podcast. <laughs> Go on. Yeah. Okay. That, that is a good point. So, uh, yeah, it's a good thing she doesn't listen. Yeah. Um, so we won't, we won't ruin that surprise. We can talk about that later. But I got you one for your birthday. You did. You got me Fran Drescher, which was very nice. Um, because she is from my favorite TV show ever, The Nanny. And I've watched it since I was a little girl and I continue to watch it. Yeah, I, I can't believe when I moved to Australia, I can't believe that show is popular. <laughs> yeah, it was really like it was big in Australia and the UK. It just never really hit it off in the US. Yeah, well, it's something about taste. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, we were talking about we should do one. A cameo, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So listeners of Investing Compass could get us to say something mm-hmm. for we decided what on one US dollar. On one US dollar, yeah. I mean, they have to be pricing US dollars because it's an American company, yeah. but one US dollar. <laughs> yeah. So what do you think? Should we donate it to charity or should we use this to get you know exceedingly wealthy? Because we I'm sure be- a lot of people yeah, will do I mean, this. We could use it for scratchies. We could use it for scratchies. <laughs> Shawnee's Scratchy Fund. Shawnee's Scratchy Fund, one US dollar at a time. Okay. Well, our email address is, or my email address is in the show notes. So if you're yeah. interested in this idea, let us <laughs> yeah. know. But uh, all right, we should get started on the episode. So Today's episode's a little bit different, and not just because of the way we started it. So I was pitching an idea to you, Shani, mm-hmm. and you looked at me like I was a lunatic, which is, you know, par for the course, but still, I guess, a pretty good indication of what you think about today's episode. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, like, this idea wasn't fully formed when you told me it, so it did sound a bit crazy. But. Okay, well, you know how at team events, remember when we used to have team events and we weren't locked in our house? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like at team events, you'll do like an icebreaker. Um, yeah. So like a team event or training or something like that, and you ask people questions like, if you were an animal, what kind of animal would you be? Yeah, I do. I, I hate these. Um, I always feel like I'm being put on the spot during those, and a fun fact about me is that I'm painfully dull. <laughs> so before my first day at Morningstar, I was petrified that I was going to have to let someone know three facts about me. So I pre-prepared facts, but luckily I was never asked, which is good. Do you remember those facts? No. I okay. Don't. Okay. So what about that animal question? What if that was the question? So you tell me that you're descended from a lion. I've never said that. You looked that up on Wikipedia, but <laughs> thanks for turning my heritage into the answer to a team icebreaker. But <laughs> yeah, okay. Singalese means lion people. I guess that's the answer I could give. Okay. All right. Well, why don't we move on? Um, and today's icebreaker question, right, is are you a balance sheet or are you a cash flow statement? You're already laughing at me. <laughs> It's hard not to. Um, I feel like we should give everyone a disclaimer that Mark is actually a little bit cooler than he sounds on our podcast. Um, you know, the last few episodes we determined he was a spreadsheet lover who watched dog shows and asked questions like, are you a balance sheet or a cash flow statement? But I have a story. Our first work Christmas party, and that happened not long after I had started. So it was one of my first conversations with Mark, and he told me that he listened to Biggie. So, and that yeah. impressed you. Yeah, I mean, it was probably downhill from there, but (laughs) how's that for a compliment? I mean, it's it's pretty backhanded, but uh, (laughs) but anyway, I'll take what I can get. So, okay, 
we need to give a little bit of a definition first, mm-hmm. right, of this question. Because some people might get asked this icebreaker question and not know what either one is. Yes. So, Shawnee, your mother thinks you're an accountant. <laughs> so why don't you give us a definition of those okay. two things. Sure. So a balance sheet is a point in time snapshot of the assets and the liabilities of a company. A cash flow statement looks at all the cash that comes in the door and all the cash that goes out the door. They are two parts of the financial statements that every company issues. Okay. Yeah. So today we're going to take these accounting statements and we're going to apply them to investing approaches. And the reason we're going to do this is because it hopefully will allow everyone to think about the implications of focusing on one or focusing on the other. <laughs> I'm cringing even asking this, Mark, but are you a balance sheet or a cash flow statement? I am a cash flow statement, Shani. Okay. So explain this for me. Why are you a cash flow statement? Okay. Well, when I was younger, I was thinking a little bit about financial independence and, you know, what that means. What were other kids doing while you were thinking about this? You know, like, I I can't really talk. When I was a kid, my favorite thing to do was watch infomercials. You You told me that you learned English from infomercials. Well, from a- no, I, the ABC. So I used to watch the ABC and I have subtitles, closed captions. It was one of the only stations that had it when I was younger. So okay, so that's yeah. a little more highbrow than infomercials. <laughs> yeah. A little, but I still watch the infomercials. Okay, well, well. Anyway, when I say when I was younger, I was not like four years old when I was doing this. But I think this was in Liar's Poker. So that's Michael Lewis's first book, and he talks a little bit about his own experience on Wall Street. And he was talking about all these very wealthy traders and their definition of what rich was. And rich them was not a number. It was, be a, it was being able to afford the life that they wanted on the income off of treasuries. So U.S. treasuries are considered risk-free. So what they're basically saying is that if you can live the lifestyle you want off of interest from a risk-free U.S. treasury bond, then you're set for life and nothing can ever impact that lifestyle. Yeah. And I checked the 30-year U.S. Treasury yield and it's at 1.96%. So the base needed to get a comfortable income stream, that is pretty huge. But I do get where you're coming from here. In an early episode, we talked about passive income and how there's a theory that the ultimate investment objective is to live off that passive income. For most people, this is completely unrealistic. So this is really taking it to the next level to not just live off of passive income, but live off passive income from bonds that have no credit risk, meaning no risk that the issuer won't pay you interest on the principal back at maturity. Yeah, no, exactly, Shani. So, you know, obviously this is a little bit of a ridiculous scenario and, you know, it's kind of like arguing over what's a real private chat, right? <laughs> but uh, but even though this just applies to a handful of people in the world, it just got me thinking. And, you know, the concept's pretty simple here, right? We all live our lives on a cash flow basis, right? We have a job, they periodically pay us, our employer periodically pays us a certain amount, and then we use that money to pay for our lives. So, you know, the goal is to exchange, or what many people's lives are, is exchanging labor for wages. And this would be exchanging capital for wages. So if my investments paid me instead of an employer, it means that I could do what I want. Yeah, exactly. So I get the cash flow side of, th- side of things. Let's talk about the balance sheet. Okay. So once I started to think about income, I started to think about the traditional way that people define financial success. And being quote unquote rich is often portrayed as a number. So, you know, there's the notion that if you are a millionaire, you're rich. And this number obviously always fluctuates. So if you invest in the stock market, your net worth will go up and down on a daily basis. And there can be profound changes in your net worth over the course of relatively short term timeframes. But 
does this really change anything about your lifestyle? So, you know, we hear about the wealth effect where people spend more money when assets they own go up. But, you know, that's kind of a pretty terrible approach to your finances. So there's this saying in movies, um, just because I have not actually experienced this myself, <laughs> saying that when you go to jail, you only spend two days there, right? The day you go in and the day you get out. And investing is pretty similar, right? If you're speculating or simply counting on price appreciation, there are only two prices that matter, the price you buy an asset for and then the price you sell it. So all these fluctuations in between should have no impact on your lifestyle. Well, that wasn't really the way I wanted to invest, and that wasn't how I wanted to measure my own success. So I wanted to focus on cash flow. So cash flow produced by the companies that I own, and then cash flow that, of course, is returned to me as dividends. So I just thought this whole obsession with net worth was counterproductive. Morningstar Premium is designed to help you reach your investing goals. Our coverage spans over 50,000 securities and 2,000 funds and ETFs. Sign up to a four-week free trial through the link in the episode notes to access our global equity best ideas for our topics across borders. Find shares with sustainable, above-average dividend payouts and the best opportunities at home with five-star Aussie stocks. A Morningstar Premium subscription includes a ShareSide investor plan, allowing you to track all of your investment holdings in one place. And take advantage of ShareSide's investment performance and tax reporting that has been built specifically for the needs of self-directed investors. If you love premium after your four-week trial and choose to subscribe, your subscription may be tax-deductible if you derive income from the share market. Sign up for a free trial today. So this has me thinking about a lot of discussions that we have about housing. I think it's fair to say that we both have a pretty unconventional view, but I see a lot of my friends stretching to buy a house. They go into a ton of debt and their mortgage payment makes up a huge portion of their income. So after years of sacrificing and not doing anything to save for a house, they then can't do anything because they own a house. But what we see is people continue to do this because housing prices go up and suddenly house owners are considered wealthy because their net worth goes up. Yeah, I mean, I obviously couldn't agree more. And it was exactly this that put me off to this. It was people who, from a balance sheet perspective, might look wealthy, but the very thing that made them wealthy was actually making it so they couldn't afford to do anything. And the only way they could take this asset and give them cash flow was either to take out a loan or sell the house and move into something smaller or in a cheaper location, because generally all houses go up in price at the same time, right? And so this pursuit of balance sheet wealth creates a cycle as people keep trading up in houses and they keep taking on more debt. And just in my way of thinking, this balance sheet wealth was actually making people less financially secure and making them more and more dependent on their job as they got older instead of giving them more freedom to make choices. Yeah, it's interesting because I actually think the same thing about housing. People tell me that owning a house makes you more secure when I always felt more secure renting a place with money in the bank and invested. But that's housing. There's obviously a dimension here that we're not mentioning, which is sentimentality and also that goal are individual to a person. Yeah. So we were texting about this the other day, but one of the most extreme examples I've seen of this is a Finfluencer who we talked about the other day, but I think it's safe to say we both agree has no business giving any sort of financial guidance. And anyway, like most Finfluencers, she posts her net worth on her Instagram page and she celebrated a milestone the other day. And that's when she reached six figures. And, you know, as an aside, posting your net worth on Instagram is great when the market's going up. <laughs> I just wonder how many of these Finfluencers are going to keep posting their net worth on Instagram when the market inevitably starts going down. But anyway, 
to commemorate this milestone of breaking $100,000, she actually put on um, basically what all of her assets were and what they were worth. And $20,000 of this was a car. Yeah. And this it was pretty misguided given the fact that she sees herself as a champion of financial independence. There is absolutely nothing wrong with owning a car. It's a necessity for a lot of people and lots of people, myself included, love cars. But a car does not enhance your net worth. It's a drain on your finances, not an asset that's getting you closer to financial freedom. There's a maintenance, the rego, the fact that the car constantly loses value as you drive it more. Your financial freedom is not generally enhanced by more possessions. Waking up one day and selling everything you own isn't generally a sign that you've made it. We have gone through a bit of a preamble here. Um, but how you how you see yourself as a cash flow statement informed your investing approach, Mark? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So I think there are a lot of parallels, and that was the point of this episode, of course, to talk about this. And you know, I, I think my thoughts about this have made me always just feel more comfortable steering away from speculative stocks that didn't pay a dividend. Instead, I focused on low beta stocks that have sustainable and growing dividends. And you know, that's. Just always how I thought about my portfolio. And I really think focusing on compounding that income has led to some behavioral advantages. Okay, so I'm going to pay, play devil's advocate here. The other side of this argument is that dividends are a highly tax inefficient capital allocation choice by companies. Distributing dividends to shareholders means that they'll have to pay taxes. Investing that cash flow in the business or buying back shares will lead to higher share prices. Higher share prices allow shareholders to choose when they want to pay taxes by selling shares to support themselves. Yeah, and I completely get that argument. You know, I, I do think it is a bit academic, but I certainly understand why it's correct. Um, but I think, you know, from my point of view, I like the fact that a dividend is tangible, right? It shows up in my account and it's cash and I can do whatever I want with it. And a buyback's great too, but in many cases, buybacks just cover up share dilution that comes from issuing options to executives. And I think dividends and a dividend-seeking shareholder base imposes discipline on management because they know how important it is to be careful stewards of shareholder capital. And, you know, maybe in some cases they don't invest enough in the business, but in many other cases, I think it just prevents wasteful spending. Well, I guess it comes down to this. We all need to have an investment strategy that we believe in and stick with, and this is yours. So let's talk about some other ways that you think being cash flow focused is better than being balance sheet focused. Yeah. So one other advantage I think comes from this, and I mentioned this before, is it's just behavioral advantages. So I feel like this obsession with net worth drives really poor decision making. So when the market is going up and you hear about how all these speculative investments are earning huge returns, you're more inclined to chase them because you have a short-term focus on your net worth. When the market is falling and you are fixated on your net worth, you're more likely to sell. So my focus is on cash flow and income. And that means when the market goes down, there's actually more of an opportunity to earn income. So what Mark is talking about here is how a dividend yield works. You divide the dividend by the price of the share to understand the yield. As long as the dividend is maintained, the yield you purchase a share at represents how much you will earn off your investments. If that price goes down, you will earn more off of the money you invest. Okay. And the last thing that I think we need to talk about is debt and sort of general attitudes towards debt. And once again, this is related to housing, but it's also related to margin loans, which more and more people are taking out in their portfolios. So we think about the world in a balance sheet perspective. Debt is a good thing as long as you're using it to buy assets. So we can start with housing and, you know, how so many people in Australia think about investing in housing. Yeah. This is going to be a good rant from you. I've heard this one before. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so. I know. This must be very boring for you. But um, yeah, you know, 
the idea behind an investment property is generally pretty simple, right? You buy an investment property, you take out a mortgage. So you've got that mortgage to pay, but then you get cash flow from renting your place to somebody. But in Australia, you often see cash flow negative investment properties, which means that you are paying more for your mortgage than you were getting in rent. And this, of course, is encouraged by negative gearing tax policy. But the thesis behind this investment is that the price of the property will keep going up, even though each month you pay the bank more than you're getting from whoever's renting it. And another side of this argument is that only a portion of what you pay the bank is interest. Some of that is principal and that is adding to the equity in your home. Yeah, and that's obviously right. But all of this is still based on that simple premise that housing prices always go up. And I guess maybe they will. I, of course, heard this in the US before the GFC. But Leverage does tremendous things for you as long as what you invest in is always going up. But that is also taking on risk and people shouldn't forget that. And being cash flow negative, no matter what the tax advantage is, in my opinion, is not getting you any closer to financial freedom. Well, I think you're going to have to go a long way to get Aussies to not invest in real estate. So let's talk about margin a bit. Margin is, of course, the same concept, but even more risky since shares have traditionally been more volatile than housing prices. So margin is borrowing money to invest in shares. And that works out great when they go up, but if they go down very quickly, you'll be forced to sell your shares to pay back the loans. That's what's called a margin call, which triggers the worst thing in investing, selling when you don't want to. And this is especially bad if something is temporarily really low. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. So buying stock and margin is extremely risky. And it's a risk that's probably underappreciated right now just because of how the markets perform lately. One other thing we can discuss is zombie companies. Basically, a zombie company is a company that doesn't generate enough cash flow to ever pay back the principal on their debt. So they may be able to cover their operating expenses and their interest payments, but since they aren't able to pay off their principal, they're perpetually in this situation where they need to be able to roll over their debt in order to stay in business. Are you going to dress up as a zombie company for Halloween? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Do you think that's a little nerdy? Um, yeah, but the other option was probably a Harry Potter character. So, mm. uh, so yeah, I think a zombie <laughs> okay. company would be good. <laughs> okay. All right. We've got, a, we've got a little while. Hopefully we'll be let out of our houses by Halloween. Fingers crossed. Yeah. We'll see. But, uh, but yeah, these zombie companies was a huge concern during COVID's first wave because the worry was that any temporary disruption to cash coming in the door would cause mass bankruptcies. And that's why central banks were so aggressive to keep interest rates down and keep liquidity in the market. That's why central banks started to buy corporate debt to basically keep all these companies in business. And this is not a company that I want to own as an investor because I care about having positive cash flow so they can return money to me as a shareholder rather than just being this sort of perpetual debt recycling program. So what's the lesson here for investors? You've obviously got a view and a pretty strong one, but what should people think about this whole argument of cash flow statement versus balance sheet? Yeah, well, the lesson is always is the same. There are many different approaches to investing that work. And what is guaranteed not to work is not understanding the decisions you're making and what the factors that will go into the success of that approach. So if you are cash flow inclined, what matters is the sustainability of those cash flows and your ability to get to a level where those cash flows can support you. It also takes discipline to wait for the right time to invest when dividend yields are attractive. So not now when yields are at record lows. If you're more of a balance sheet focus, you need to be cognizant of the risk you are taking when you're taking on debt. I would also say you need to be clear about how you are going to convert those assets into cash to pay for your life. This can be problematic when asset prices are going down, that sequencing risk that we always talk about. 
So that sounds pretty straightforward. Investing is about exchanging risk for return, and we all need to be informed about what risk we're taking on. Okay, exactly. So Shani, before we close up this episode, we do have another competition. Mm -hmm. So we had the competition for the books, and we will be notifying people, the winners of that competition, and then, of course, mailing the books to them. Mm -hmm. But we've got a new one. So we have an investment conference annually here at Morningstar. So it is in October this year. And we are going to, if you leave a rating and a comment on your podcast app, and then, of course, email us and tell us about it, we'll give you discounted tickets to that. So we're doing a hybrid approach this year. So Mm -hmm. we're going to do in person. And then we're also going to do online. Mm -hmm. So if you want to come in person, I'll give you 50% off our in-person premium member rate. In Sydney. In Sydney. Mm -hmm. So that is $25 ticket. And then if you want to go and watch it online, we'll give you a ticket for free. So how's that for competition? If anyone who's already left us a comment, um, just send me an email and I'll give you the same deal. So that's pretty good. That sounds good. And because our conference is right before Halloween, maybe (laughs) Shawnee will dress as a zombie company at the conference. I think that's a good trade. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Yeah. And that's the advantage. (laughs) That's the advantage, right? That you can come meet us at the conference. Exactly. Okay. So thank you guys very much for joining. Once again, we'd love those comments and uh, any feedback, please send them through to the email address in the show notes and please let your friends know about the podcast. So thank you guys very much. Any advice in this podcast is general advice or regulated financial advice under New Zealand law prepared by Morningstar Australasia Proprietary Limited and or Morningstar Research Limited without reference to your financial objectives, situations or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest. To obtain advice for your own situation, contact a financial advisor.